0: Please state your name for the record. I'm Mike Lee, the world's toughest programmer. I'm Brent Simmons.
1: And I'm Chris Parrish, and you're listening to The Record.
0: The Record brings you the stories you should know about the Apple development community. This is Season One Seattle Before the iPhone. Today we are recording at the offices of the Omni Group
1: in Seattle. Our guest is Mike Lee. Mike is the founder of Amsterdam, chief lemur at New Lemurs former Apple employee, and a force behind several high-profile Mac and iOS applications during the past seven years. Mike, it's great to have you here today.
2: It's great to see you
0: guys again. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for coming. All the way from Amsterdam, no less. Indeed. But we're not talking about Amsterdam today. We're diving deep into the past. And our question is, how the heck did you get to Seattle from where you came from? And how did you end up making software?
2: Well, you have to imagine this was the mid-90s. Kurt Cobain was still alive. Grunge was king, and that wave found its way all the way across the Pacific Ocean to Honolulu, where I grew up. Now, Hawaii is a really nice place, but I was kind of depressed at the time. To and grunge
0: that that spoke to you. It really
2: appealed. I thought yeah. I'm going to go to a place where they know how to be depressed.
1: You couldn't stand all the the beautiful
0: water. All the and sunshine the was
2: driving me crazy. It was driving me crazy. <laughs> driving me
1: crazy. <laughs> we live in reverse. I've been trying to figure yeah. out how to get out of Seattle and to Hawaii for many years now. <laughs>
2: So anyway, you know, my best friend from college, he ended up going to the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma. And he was always telling me while I was at the University of Hawaii, you should come check out Washington. You should come check out, you know, Tacoma, Seattle. This area is really great. It's got a lot going on. After a couple of years, I finally took him up on it. I ended up coming out and I really loved it. You know, I loved Seattle. I loved Tacoma, the whole Puget Sound region. So I ended up moving out here and getting a job with Alaska Airlines. Hmm. And I worked at the airport at SeaTac on the ground with Alaska Airlines for Five years, uh, basically, before I ended up teaching myself to code because I wanted to get off the ramp.
0: Hmm. So, what does working on the on the ground mean? Um, what 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 was that work exactly?
2: I was a lead ramp agent, which meant that I had a, a team of individuals. When the aircraft would come in, we would marshal the aircraft in. You know, help the pilot to park the aircraft, and then we were responsible for taking everything that was on the plane off the plane and okay. putting everything that needed to go on the plane on the plane. Hmm. Okay.
0: Cool. Did you get to have, like, those lights? and Oh, yeah. That that was the part
2: of the job that everybody loved the most. Yeah, yeah. That and actually pushing the aircraft back.
0: Ah, yeah. Sounds like Mm nice. So then you said, um, you know, I could do something where I could sit down maybe and and be inside (laughs) occasionally. Because it's easier to be depressed when you're... (laughs) It, sitting down, and it's grungier. I
2: no, guess, it's totally true. I mean, five years of the rain, and I, I felt like uh, you know my depression was okay, fully, <laughs> fully, fully exercised. I guess the rain will do it. Yeah, but at the same time, it was um, you know it was a really dangerous job, mm-hmm. and I had a couple of coworkers killed, you know, friends of mine. And I didn't want to be next, and you know, one of the guys that I worked with, he had told me something that at the time I really didn't appreciate, but. Over the years, as I sat there trying to figure out how to move on in my life, I realized that he was right, and that was that you should learn a skill. Mm -hmm. Or as he said, it's called skilled labor. Look into it. (laughs) Yeah. It took me five years, but eventually I saw that what he said was true. And I tried a a couple of skills. I tried to learn to fly airplanes, most notably. uh, But that was very expensive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had been a photographer in college. That was also pretty expensive. But the nice thing about programming is once you had a computer... All the bits and bytes were free. Yeah, right. So I sold all of my sort of flying equipment and gave up on that dream and pursued the dream of teaching myself to code. Eventually, uh, one of the guys that I worked with and I managed to put together this training system for the airline, just running the test for which saved the airline $800,000. Hmm. Nice. With a value proposition, they thought I was worth more as a programmer than I was as a ramp lead. Mm-hmm. And I finally had my first white collar job skilled labor. Nice. Skilled so what did labor. You, yeah.
1: uh, what did you learn to program in? Like when you were teaching yourself, like what did you dive into first?
2: Well, a lot of web technology. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, bearing in mind, right? This was this was a while ago, and and the web was something that I had been into, you know, ever since college. I mean, I I, I think I wrote my first web page in like 1993. Like I jumped on this technology really early because mm-hmm. it reminded me a lot of choose your own adventure stuff, which I had been obsessed with forever, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. So um you know that's kind of what I, what I started with and you know we had uh I think at the time we were calling it DHTML and uh, uh dynamic right. html mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. like the old stuff just mm-hmm. sat there. No that's right and and <laughs> yeah. and flash was really uh you know kind of the new hope for the web after the uh the the standards war had left everything in disarray and so you know it was big into flash big into xml uh xml I would say was probably my uh, my major technology that I was most into um, you know, but then, I don't know, depending on how snobby you are, you don't necessarily consider those things programming, so in a, a real sense, my real first programming language was Java. Oh, ah, okay. And the reason for Java, of course, was at the airline, they had an IT department, and that IT department, you know, I think they used C-sharp.net or something like that. Mm. But I had a Mac, and I didn't want to use a PC. I couldn't use a PC. Right. You, you know, it was just too frustrating. And you they had really good taste already. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> it, you know, it was never a question of being better than everybody else. It was just a question of trying to get my work done and not wanting to wrestle with the computer. I mean, when I was, a, when I was younger, you know, I really looked up to, to Microsoft. I thought they were great. I, I, I was, you know, huge into Windows. I mean, you know, I broke up with, a, with an early girlfriend because she, she bought a Mac.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so your first computer was not a Mac, you My first
2: didn't. computer was definitely not a Mac. Right. No, right, okay. no. Uh, and it wasn't like I went out and bought that computer with a hatred of a Mac. I just bought the computer that my friends recommended and then right. vehemently defended that decision to the death until I realized, wait a minute, Windows 95, it's just like a Mac. Screw that. I'm going to do Unix and you know, right. got a hardcore in, in that direction. But eventually found my way back. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway... Yeah, here I am in Seattle. I have a Mac and a Windows company, and I need to program something for the desktop. So Java seemed like a really nice choice. So it must have
1: been uh, past the classic Mac era at that point if you were doing anything with Java. I think on a Mac, right? So
2: I think, uh, yeah, I think I think we're on OS ten at that yeah, point. Yeah, that makes know, sense. For yeah, sure.
0: Cool. So you did that. Uh, how long did you write Java code at Alaska Airlines?
2: Well, I was there for two years, but I mm-hmm. wouldn't say I was writing Java code the entire time because we had a bit of a back and forth on the Java thing. I mean, the reality is we we were not in the department responsible for writing software. We were in the department responsible for doing training. Mm-hmm. But they found it frustrating trying to get their work done through the IT department, and a lot of other people did too, so they started kind of loaning us to other departments. And I ended up working on a lot of really interesting little projects. usually you know, very important stuff that had to be done very quickly, like terrorist watch list and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, there was this constant kind of back and forth and a lot, of, you know, a lot of dirty trickery tends to go on, right, where it's like, oh, you know, don't worry, don't worry, like we'll, we'll support this, it's fine. And then the day of release, you find out that they had removed Java from all of the machines.
0: <laughs> Great.
2: And so we ended up having to rewrite the entire thing uh, in Flash. Uh And so I I, I kind of evolved from a a Java programmer to a a Flash programmer who wished he was a Java programmer. I I understand that the irony is just filling up the room. It really is, yeah.
0: And that may be one of the saddest things I've heard all day. The Flash programmer who wished he was a Java programmer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Truly, the world has changed.
0: So somewhere soon, you're about to go to WWDC, right? Probably the first time.
2: No, at this point, I'm I'm, I'm fantasizing about WWDC. You know, I'm watching the videos You know, every year I'm watching the keynote. I'm wishing I was there and trying to convince my boss, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, I finally have a job where I can actually go to WWDC. Like, won't you send me there? And she said, well, I I can't send you there. Uh, We don't have the budget for it right now. But I tell you what, my nephew works in the program office. This guy, Dave Carvalho, uh, who works at Apple and, you know, at the time at least was kind of the manager of the the OS X program office. The guy's Mm -hmm. responsible for for bringing those crazy code trains together and putting mm-hmm. on OS 10, mm-hmm. uh, so my boss's boss's boss is like his aunt kind of thing. Oh, okay. So flew down to one infinite loop for the first time,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you know, got the tour, which is to say, got to eat at Cafe Max and shop at the gift shop. Yeah, right, right. And then, um, you know, Dave asked if I had any questions, and, and I was just kind of barded it out. It's like, you know, how do I, you know, how do I go to WWDC? Like, how do I work at Apple? Like, how do I get into all this stuff? Like, that's what I really mm-hmm. wanted to do. And you know, he had this really kind of sad look on his face, <laughs> you know, and, and it was more of that hard advice. And he said, look, if you want to be a Java programmer, you go to Java 1. If you want to go to WWC, you need to learn Objective-C, you mm-hmm. need to learn Xcode, you need to learn to do this stuff the way that it's done. And I, I didn't like hearing that. I didn't like hearing that at all. I was really well invested in the tool chain and the language that I had invested in. But you know, again, it turned out that the guy was right. And, You know, it ended up being really, really good advice. Mm -hmm.
0: So, what did you do next? Then you uh, got Xcode and started doing the doing the things, writing code on your own, uh, stuff
2: to release, or a little bit. A little bit. I mean, you know, I still had to do the work that I had to do, Mm -hmm. right? I still had to do the stuff in Flash. I still had to, you know, spend some time in Java. Uh, but I did start looking at Xcode and I did start messing around with it, and uh, I started to feel like I, I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after two years at the airline writing code, five years of being on the ground, so about seven years total, it gets to be around 2005. And, you know, the airline is losing money. They've been losing money since 2011 for obvious reasons, or 2001, I should say, for obvious reasons. And um, they need to get rid of some people. And mm-hmm. I volunteered along with about half of the, the management group, which included programmers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had like a year's salary and benefits, and I had the flight benefits, I had the time, and I I flew down to my first WWDC. I got a student scholarship, I was taking some classes, flew on my benefits, so I didn't have to pay for the airplane ticket. I just had to get a hotel, which I ended up staying at. I believe it was the the, the Renoir Hotel. The Renoir. (laughs) Which is, I think, on 8th, uh, which is not. Not the nicest street in san francisco i 've taken a wrong turn now and again. I can imagine what time what, uh, yeah. what year
1: was that do you remember that was 05. 05.
2: Oh, five that okay. okay. was definitely o okay. five yeah Yeah. no I, I remember it forever and uh, you know I went to that first day of five and it was uh, the student day, the Sunday before the conference actually started, and you know will Shipley was there giving this this big speech about kind of you know quitting your job and living the indie dream and and, and what all that stuff was like and the thing was i had been uh, i 'd been taking some classes from You know, I had bought a condo down in Federal Way about 45 minutes from Seattle, like Mm -hmm. as one does, right? (laughs) And uh, the nearest, closest school that did technology stuff was was DeVry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, DeVry, when I was in high school, DeVry was this really respected kind of technical institute that I think kind of went a little nuts during the dot-com era and Mm -hmm. became like a franchise school. But a teacher who I really respect had spoken highly of DeVry, so I thought, yeah, I'll go there. So I was taking some classes there. And, um, you know, that, that's what enabled me to get that student scholarship. I don't remember where I was going with this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Sunday, uh, WWC 2005, student day. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: So I, I, I took a, a, a bunch of business classes while mm-hmm. I was there, right? Um, because they're basically like a tech school slash business school. And so, you know, instead of having a core like you do at a liberal arts school, like at the University of Hawaii, you, you have to take a bunch of business classes if you're in tech and tech classes mm-hmm. if you're in business, which is not a terrible idea. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I, you know, I was taking like, you know, Business 101 or Management 101 or one of these kinds of things and you had to come up with a, a business plan that was a final project. And so I, I had this idea for a company because I'm sitting there and I'm learning about how business is done and I'm like, none of this stuff is necessary. If you had a laptop and a, a group of dedicated people, you could sit in a coffee shop, you would have zero cost of goods sold if you, mm-hmm. you know, managed to find a way to deal with your rent or, or get rid of your rent. None of these rules would apply and, and you could just do your thing. And I got an A on the paper. But he laughed in my face. I mean, he literally laughed in my face. <laughs> you know, and it was one of those things. And it made me think. You know, of course, it's an arrogant way to think. But it made me think of all of those other business cases, all those, you know, the FedExes of the world mm-hmm. where, you know, right. Professor laughed in the pl- it, it, it just it made it stick in my mind. Uh-huh, right. It made that idea stick in my mind. And I obsessed over it. And so when I end up seeing this guy, Will Shipley, get on stage and talking about how, yeah, they work in a coffee shop and they sit on their laptops. And it was it was, it was this is the guy. I, yeah. need, I need to talk to this guy. But the other thing that happened was, you know, like core data was the new hotness at the time. Bill Bumgarner got on stage and was talking about, you know, using Python to, you know, look into uh, Objective C. I mean, all of this stuff that was coming out at the time. And I realized the difference between being a guy who teaches himself to code and being a software engineer was a vast gulf Mm -hmm. that I would not be able to bridge on my own, Mm -hmm. not in the time that I had. And so I had a key insight. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, Yeah. glad you saw that in him. It it absolutely was. I mean, it was just, it was being before the likes of Will Shipley and Bill Bumgarner. I mean, how can you feel in the presence of those people, but utter humility? Mm -hmm. And, you know, with that humility, I I, I radically changed my plans from, you know, we're going to start a company and we're going to change the world and we're going to do all this stuff to, I'm going to learn how to do this stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to try to work with this guy. And because he lived in Seattle and I lived in Federal Way, it was about a 45 minute drive on I-5. I proposed that we work together, that I work for him for free for a year. Well, eventually he became frustrated by that 45-minute wait when he summoned <laughs> me for something, and I ended right. up moving into his basement uh, in Wedgwood. Because
0: with Will, he could summon you at any hour of any day, I, I assume. That's, so probably not the morning.
2: <laughs> that's definitely true. That's yeah. definitely true. He could he could summon you at any time. And if he did summon you in the morning, that was very worrisome. Yeah, I
1: that. Yeah. So Delicious Library had already shipped at this point, right? Like the first version of it, right?
2: It did, and this was really a big part of it because I honestly think that if they hadn't won the Design Award for Delicious Library 1.5 that year in 05, I don't think that it – would have happened Because when I first met Will and I kind of blabbed all this stuff out about, yeah, I worked for the airline and I got this money and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to work for you. I don't think he knew what to think. I mean, what would, what would you think? <laughs> I mean, right? What would I think? I mean – I would politely go find someone else to drink with. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. But then by sheer coincidence, they won the design award. I was on the same bus uh, coming back from the campus bash. He ran into me kind of on his way to go drinking and was like, hey, you, weird guy, let's go drink, you know? <laughs> yeah. And we did. And, you know – because I worked for an airline, I have a rather high endurance compared to most uh, programmers. So I was really able to kind of—I don't know what what what's what I'm looking for. Like keep up with Will, yeah, right? Sure. Like you know, yeah. we're 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 in Denny's until like three, four, five in the morning. Sun's coming up, and uh, and I'm able to keep up. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of won by attrition. <laughs> You know, there are a lot of people who wanted to work with Will at the time. I mean, yeah, everybody sure. loves a winner, and and they just won. And and I mean, everybody knew that Delicious Library was it was a shot across the bow that that it it was changing the way that people looked at apps and software in general and and design. It was a big deal.
3: Yeah, it was huge. a huge
2: deal. And you know, that wasn't the first time Shipley had done something like that. When he you know was here as founder of the Omni Group, they were doing all kinds of revolutionary stuff. I mean, he'd been he'd been doing this stuff as as long as there was stuff to do. So mm-hmm. you know, he was he was exactly the kind of person I. I needed to have as a mentor.
0: Yeah. Good choice. Before we get too deeply into Will Shipley's basement, uh, I would like to pause for a moment and talk about our sponsor, Hover. H-O-V-E-R com. Hover. They're a domain name registrar, and I use them. Uh, if you uh, go check them out and use the offer code BMF, which is Mike Lee's Twitter handle, by the way. It stands for Be My Friend, BMF. Use that offer code and get 10% off your next purchase. Uh, I I use Hover. I I recommend them highly. What happened to me? uh, I had my crown jewel domains registered back in the 90s, rentshare.com, inessential.com, registered at Network Solutions. Network Solutions recently sent me an email saying they were going to charge me $1,850 for the first year and $1,300 and something, I think, for every subsequent year for a security feature that I did not want. Um, furthermore uh, I had to opt out you know, they were going to just charge me unless I opted out and furthermore I had to actually make a phone call they said in order to opt out I couldn't do it over email or via the web or anything well I was, I was driven nearly crazy by this but the main thing is I knew I had to leave Network Solutions and the obvious choice was Hover uh, and the reason for that is that Hover's, you know, what all the people I respect talk about uh, they they say you know what a great service it is, um, how great their customer service is, and how glad they are that that they have their domains at a um, at a happy and healthy home. So Hover was the obvious place to go, and it's what I did. Uh, it was a little tricky getting out of Network Solutions, but on the Hover side, uh, it was just so easy. Um, they they have a wonderful service, and I can't recommend recommend it highly enough. Fantastic! Remember the offer code BMF. Be my friend. Hover will be your friend. Hover com. So you convinced them. You ended up uh, moving into the basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we're, we're, do they have the pinball machines down in the basement?
2: The uh, pinball <laughs> machines had not yet showed up. They had not um, the basement yet. was okay. basically just used for storage, and it had been—it was not finished yet at the time. Mm-hmm. It was an unfinished God. basement. So the first thing we did was kind of got rid of a bunch of stuff. Uh, I did a lot of uh, work. On the the basement itself. He hired some contractors for the big stuff like putting in, you know, heated flooring and stuff like that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, like I painted the walls, etched the floor with acid and and painted that and, you know, did a a bunch of stuff to make the place actually livable. Mm -hmm. This little eight by eight and a half foot room under the stairs that he referred to as the oubliette that (laughs) – that became our place. I mean, originally, the idea was that we would have the whole basement. But then after the basement started to get finished in his inimitable style, he was like, actually, I'd like this to be a bit of a rompous room. But you guys can live in the closet over there. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so because it was so small, it necessitated getting rid of, of, of everything. Like literally, mm-hmm. I, I had to get rid of everything. And I realized how I mean, this was a real lesson on how useless the crap that you dedicate your lives to is when you can't even get rid of it, right? When you yeah, have to but... shed everything, and you can't even give it away. Mm-hmm. I mean, free cycling had been invented, right? Like we used every, everything that we could leverage and we still weren't able to get rid of, you know, most things. And so I, I ended up throwing away just a dumpster full of just, you know, dishes and clothes and like anything that, you know, I couldn't manage to donate. I ended up, you know, taking a bunch of stuff and just burning it in my fireplace mm-hmm. because there was just nothing else to do with it. I like
0: this detail, though. It remi- reminds me of the archetypal uh, wise man who at
2: some point in his journey has
0: to, shed all of his earthly possessions in order to get to the next place
2: no it's I absolutely it's right and i mean it's funny because i like i shed everything you know like i had i had bought a house right i mean it was the american dream i was married i bought a house i i had you know filled it with crap and i burned the crap i sold the house and you know and and i mean i will never forget when i told my wife that we were going to move into some dude's basement <laughs> and did she know will at the time She knew of Will. She knew of Will. And I mean, when I told her I wanted to work with Will, she thought it was a great idea because at the time, you know, she had been working part time at the Apple store and she had come to the conclusion that she wanted to go full time. She wanted to quit working at Barnes and Noble, where she'd been since, you know, since we moved to Seattle. uh, And she wanted to go to to work at Apple full time. Mm -hmm. And so when I said, hey, I want to go work with this guy, she's like, well, hey, I want to go work at Apple and it's like you know and I told her I guess we're both throwing our fortunes in with Apple and um, you know when I told her that we were going to move into his basement and, and sell the, the house she retreated into her beloved walk-in closet and she you know she, she lay on the floor and, 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 and she cried and and I told her it would be okay and and it wasn't but I didn't know that
3: <laughs> still
0: though, what a tough sale to make yeah, yeah. we're going to go live in a oubliette uh,
2: yeah.
0: yeah wow no kidding Okay, but things went well. Uh, you guys shipped Delicious Library 2. Uh, you also had Lucas Newman on your team. No, that's so right. It only,
2: it only took us three years, but we managed to. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. well it, it, They would brag it took them yeah. seven months to write Delicious Library. Right. And so then it took us three years to write the sequel. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah, sure. Well, there's a lot of expectations hanging right from the first one. Right?
0: That's
2: exactly right. There were a lot of expectations, and Will was really terrified of the sophomore drinks. Mm,
0: sure. Uh, understandably. One way to deal with that is just to delay shipping, of course is to make sure every single damn thing is in there or make sure every damn thing is perfect or whatever.
2: Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. That's
0: tough.
1: So how long did you, how long did you guys last in the basement? I know eventually you, you got a place near Will's house, but.
2: We were there about a year. Okay. Um, you know, I always kind of divide the, the time I spent with Will into the time before the girlfriend, the time during the girlfriend, and the time after the girlfriend. <laughs> and, you know, the girlfriend was this girl who he met about a year into my term there, and she ended up moving in. And, it made living there very awkward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up moving, uh, you know, across the street, like not very far at all.
1: Right. And then you would...
2: By then he's paying you.
1: Right, right? you'd become an official employee at that point. Yeah, right? so he,
2: he actually started paying me a few months into it, but he would only pay me for support. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. He would not pay me for programming because I had said I'd work for free for a year and goddamn it, that's what I was going to do. And then when he actually did pay me for programming during those next two years, uh, not only was it, you know... It was actually he paid me less for doing programming than support because he made me it was the same price but he made me take the programming hours and then uh, divide it like multiply it by 0. 0.9, right that was the deal he would pay me for ninety percent of my programming time wow yeah He's a... wow what a character eventually <laughs> eventually good. by the time okay. I left he had uh, you know in a fit of uh, generosity ensured that I was technically making more than I had at the airline
1: yeah okay good. So with, when you moved into the basement and started working with Will, was Mike Mattis still with the company or had Mike moved on to Apple at that
2: point? Mike Mattis was with the company when I first started getting together with the company. Um, and a big part of why I moved into the basement was because Mattis left. Right. Right. When I met them, that was the company. It was it was mm-hmm. Will and Mattis. And, you know, they had Drew Hamlin there. They had uh, Nick there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had the whole Delicious One crew. And I... I mean, I don't know. You'd have to talk to Matt asked, like, how this went down. But it felt like that dub-dub, they won the design award, and that was when they talked to Apple and decided they were going to go over Like, that's, right. that's how it felt to me coming mm-hmm. in at the time. So at first it was kind of like, you know, me being kind of on the periphery trying to break into this company. And then all of a sudden the company kind of collapses, and it's like I'm Will's only friend, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so then we become very close. It's like, well, yeah, maybe you should come, you know, work for me. Because we had become friends, and he's like, "I don't want you to work with me because I don't want to ruin our friendship." And I was like, "No, oh, I want to work with you. <laughs> like, you're an awesome dude, but like that sweet, delicious brain, I need to get in there." <laughs> yeah. um, but no, yeah. So, so, so Madison and 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 Arminik were were out, and you know, that's that's kind of what enabled me to move into the basement and right. and become the uh the multi pronged, multi faceted uh, member of the team that I did. Oh, okay. And so then.
1: Work's happening on two while you're doing support and learning,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and then Lucas must come into the picture at some point in that time, right?
2: Pretty much shortly, shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, the talk that I had been at that got me to talk to Will had then been published online. Lucas had seen the talk and been inspired to, to move from Knoxville to come and, uh, and work with Will as well. I so see. we were attracted yeah. kind of by the same talk.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. all right. Talk. There's been yeah, recording yeah. that talk. Or something. I don't think I've ac- actually seen it. I, sh- yeah. I should see it. It was such we'll an amazing talk that, like, e- sure.
2: even now, years yeah. later, I'll run into people who will cite that talk as like what got them into programming or what wow, got them to great. get off their ass and yeah. then go indie wow. or whatever. That's great.
0: Wow. Well, look at the show notes, listeners. It'll be
1: there. Yeah. Exactly. Find it somehow. Uh, so how'd that go? Working. You know, once you'd gotten out of the basement and you're starting. Programming work, and you've got a team of three of you doing the programming essentially. How was that? How did that progress?
2: It was really interesting. So, originally, when I started working for Will, you know, Will was my world, right? I mean, I followed him around. I I learned everything that he learned. Every word that he said, you know, I treated it as law. If we're walking down the street and he sees someone and he's like, fuck that guy, I'm like, yeah, fuck that guy, right? I mean, no questions, right? Dude is my mentor. Dude is my life. I'm a very loyal person, right? It's my samurai ancestry, right? (laughs) We actually referred you to you
0: as Will's bodyguard when yeah. we didn't actually know yeah. you. You were like the bigger b- dark-haired b- guy sitting next to the smaller dark-haired guy. That's how he when would describe you.: That's yeah. yeah, his
2: bodyguard. You know? yeah. And we'd sit there and I, you know, I'd, I'd weave tales and sort of spread the Shipley legend you uh-huh. know, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and it was great. I mean, that first year was great. There were definitely a couple of things that, uh, you know— I, I could have done without. He, uh, he really alienated my wife and, and, and made me, uh, you know, change the way that our relationship happened, which, you mm. know, would come to bear. Um, but generally speaking, you know, he was, he was pretty cool during that time. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we learned a lot. And our biggest frustration was that he liked to party too hard because he was still kind of coming off the high of, you know, of being that guy with that. Right. App. right sure. But it wasn't too bad. It was a good time. But when the girlfriend moved in, it it, it really changed the whole thing. I mean, it, it changed the whole company, and it became very cold and very lonely mm. because— Was her know, name Yoko?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but she does have the same name as the half-sister I don't speak to, so hmm. uh, that worked out. Right. Um, but, I mean, yeah, nothing against her. It's just Will's, Will's the kind of guy for whom a girl is more important—any girl is more important than anything else. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And so— I didn't really know how to deal with all of this. And, you know, Lucas at this time, you know, he really started to, to come into his own Mm -hmm. and he really started to get very, very good. And he really started giving me advice and, you know, he gave me a couple of really good pieces of advice about, you know, being serious about this stuff, about, you know, not letting yourself be so, uh, you know, Amazed with the stuff that you had managed to pull off that you stop being the person that people admire you for being. Mm-hmm. You know, very, very important lesson. But most importantly, I mean, one of the most important things that anyone has ever done for me is he said, you need to get your you know, nose out of Will's ass and, and, and go meet some of these people <laughs> who you, know, you have basically made judgments on based on what you've been told. And, you know, this, you know he's like, these guys, these Seattle X-Coders, you know, you should go to their meetings. They're really cool folk. I mean, he talked about the likes of you guys. You know, he's like, Brent Simmons, you got to meet this guy. He's awesome. Chris Parrish, you got to meet this guy. He's awesome. All of these guys are fantastic. You'll really like hanging out with them. I promise you. Mm-hmm. And so I started going to X-Coders as the beginning of, of moving away from, you know, just being the moon that orbited mm-hmm. Will Shipley's right, sure. planet. Right. Right. Well,
0: we should pause here again and thank our sponsor, Microsoft Azure Mobile Services. They're not only sponsoring this episode of The Record, but all of season one. And I thank them so much for doing that. Um, In your browser, go to www.windowsazure.com slash iOS. And it'll redirect you to uh, a URL that doesn't have the word Windows in it, because they actually changed the name. Now it's Microsoft Azure Mobile Services, as it should be, because it has nothing to do with Windows. See, what it is, is it's a, it's a way to uh, provide syncing and other back-end services for your iOS apps. You can make it work with Mac apps, too. And, of course, Android and web apps and Windows Mobile apps, even. But if you're listening to this, you're probably an iOS or Mac person. Uh, and it's great. We use it for Vesper. Um, you know, I'm talking about it as a sponsor, but I actually use it. I actually really, really like it. It's a lot of fun. Uh if you haven't done back-end programming before or haven't done in a long time, you might be looking for, yeah, a nice kind of easy on-ramp. And that's what mobile services provides. Uh it's really, really easy to get started. Uh of course, you know, I was afraid um, that it would kind of lock you into something too simple and you couldn't do the, you know, more complicated things you need to do. Um, but that's not true at all. It composes well with all, all the rest of Azure, all the many other services, um, some low level, some high. And you can actually, you know, work in your favorite text editor. I use BBEdit. Uh, deploy using Git. Writing my code in JavaScript. It's it's actually a Node.js stuff that you're doing, uh, with some nice extra, cool services built on top of that. Um, so I'm a big fan. I'm using it now. All I have to do is, um, you know, actually finish up and get my app shipping. Uh, but I like it a lot, and I thank them so awfully much for sponsoring, the record. All of season one.
1: You know, I'm going to divert us for just a second. It was, I think around that time, you also got hit by a car. I remember this being a, oh, yeah, an impressive geez.
3: story. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely that's right. Yeah.
3: Right.
2: <laughs> well, it, and it, it was funny because I think that after after hanging around you guys uh, and and really kind of you know developing my own kind of personality and my own reputation, uh, at one point somebody. I think it was Gus, but it's hard to remember at this point. I've gotten so much good advice from so many people. Somebody kind of pulled me aside and said, your personal brand is becoming stronger than the Delicious Monster brand. Like You need to, you need to do that deliberately, right? You need to be right. thinking about this stuff deliberately. And so I was thinking about this stuff in a very deliberate way. And it was while pondering this exact question and crossing the street that I was hit by that car. And that's when I thats when I knew who I would be. I would be the world's toughest program. Yeah.
1: <laughs> BMF, be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's perfect. So, um, like you said, this is, what, a three-year journey to get Delicious Library 2 on, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And I imagine, as I recall, it was getting a little frustrating for
2: you. It was getting uh-huh. very frustrating. And right. it wasn't just me. I well, mean, the thing is... You know, when I started working for Will, that was a very impressive thing, that I was working for Will. In fact, the fact that people were so impressed by Will was probably the thing that held me back the most, because it made me feel impressive, even though I wasn't anybody. But then people started making fun of Will, and instead of being impressed... Probably with, at X-Coders. <laughs> I mean, everywhere. Not just yeah. at X-Coders, like at Apple. I mean, but everybody. I'm just saying, right? we were no better than anybody. Oh, all sure. of us. All yeah. of us, right? And, and it's a fair statement, and I mean... I mean, I I remember the one that, like, that really got me because this was the one that people would say the most. They'd be like, hey, hey, isn't it ironic that your boss's last name is Shipley? Oh, I think it was my (laughs) joke,
3: yeah.
2: You and and everybody else. You and everybody else, right? You and everybody else. And, I mean, the thing was, I had no power over it. And and, and as we went on and on, I had less and less power over it. And especially, you know, once the iPhone was on the horizon and, and, you know, Lucas left for Apple, then... You know, I I could barely get Will to to acknowledge the fact that I existed, let alone, uh, you know, have any say at all. And we started to diverge in opinions on where the design should go. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I I, I really started to feel like he was making his design decisions to spite me. Mm. You know, like at one point we got into this big fight about something and it was, you know, we were at Apple, right? Like the fight involved John Galenzi, Mm. right? And we're talking about like how it should happen. And John is like, no, it should happen this way. And I'm like, no, John, you're not considering the edge cases. Like, think about the difference between a 15-inch monitor and a 30-inch monitor. Like, you you need a floating inspector. You don't want this thing just, you know, sticking there and taking up all the – you you can dock it, but it needs to float. It needs to float. And, you know, Shipley wanted to put it on the bottom because Mike Mattis had put it on the bottom. I mean, I saw Mike Mattis make Will Shipley cry Mm. because Mike Mattis did not care about Delicious Library 2 at Mm. all. Right. Right. He had whipped out a design three years ago, right. but he wasn't going to budge. He wasn't going to put a moment's thought into it. And, you know, Shipley had so much respect for Mattis' opinion, and there was no way that the work that Mattis had done could possibly work with three minutes thought. And Will was just between a rock and a hard place, mm-hmm. and he just, he just started to cry, you know. And, and, like, you know, I think when, when, when John Galenzi said the words, Mike, you're right. It should be the way you, you know, it should mm-hmm. be a floating inspector. I think for Will, it was just like a kick in the balls, hmm. you know, and, and, and you know, I, I remember the point when, when I, I come in and I see that he had implemented the, the Mattis style bottom inspector and, and I just, you know, I started to say something and he, he, you know, he just said to me, like, this is the way it's going to be. We're not going to have this discussion. Hmm. And, you know, I went home, I, I tweeted something vague, like, you know, mark this day, you know, and in my mind, this is the day that, you know, Shipley ruined Delicious Library. And I basically wrote my resignation. Hmm. And I wasn't resigning because I was pissed off about a design decision. I was resigning because I was pissed off that the fact that Will was, he had something going on in his head with a version of me that didn't exist. I just wanted to get the damn thing shipped and mess around with the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it felt like the, this thing between us was preventing us from shipping. Right. And I wanted to ship. I, I had a sickness to ship, you know. Mm-hmm. At this point, it was pretty clear that I had pretty much lost everything up to and including my wife in order to ship this product. Yeah. yeah. And, and I wasn't able to ship because I was there. It was like some mm-hmm. Heisenberg uncertainty <laughs> shipping schedule, <laughs> okay. you know. And so the, the, the strategy that I came up with is, okay, if I tell him when I will quit, so he will stop treating me in this defensive way because he thinks I'm going to quit, uh, then maybe we can just get the tension out of the air And finish the damn thing. And so I told him, look, I will resign. I will leave after 1.1, right? After we ship it and we get the bugs out, then I will leave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hoping that that would kind of deflate all of this, you know, kind of blown up bullshit that had come between us. And we'd we'd, we'd actually be able to ship the damn thing.
1: Um,
2: You know, but instead he just said, no, it's fine. You, you, You Keep your computer. Here's a couple months pay. You know, he, he offered me, uh, you know, a loan mm-hmm. to help start my own company, which he later reneged on, and, uh, and, and that was it. I was out, and he finished it, and he hired uh, a bunch of girls, and, uh, and that was a new team and a new people. And so basically, you know, when that thing debuted, it was not with the team that made it. It was with the, a, a new team. Mm-hmm. And, but it uh, was
1: largely the thing that you and Lucas worked on.
2: No, right? it, was, it, was, it was entirely the thing that, yeah. that Lucas and I had worked on.
1: So despite all of that, that was probably where you uh, honed your objective. See, chops, right? That's where you really learned. Uh...
2: I I owe everything I am to Will Shipley. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a very controversial figure. A lot of people don't have a lot of good to say about him. A lot of people have a lot of bad to say about him. And like, I won't say that I won't hear it. I hear it all the time. But at the end of the day, I believe, and you have seen this in my career and the people I work with, I believe right. that there is such a thing as talent trumping personality Mm -hmm. yeah and at the end of the day if there's someone who's that talented then you just learn you learn to deal with them right yeah right
0: well i'm not going to go into details of my own story but it's similar enough right i worked for dave weiner for seven years whatever and there are plenty of people who think he's crazy or, or whatever and um you know and i hear that not as often these days but i used to but it's like yeah, he taught me what I know. Without yes. him I'm mm-hmm. not not even a third the programmer I am. Yeah. And, uh, he was brilliant. He came up with thing after thing that like changed everything.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: very similar story.
2: It's like your dad and, like, yeah, exactly. You know?
0: And like eventually um you you learn that your hero is not no, that's Superman right. and, that's, and right. that's okay. Human being. Yeah.
2: And, and honestly, I mean if it hadn't been for you, if it hadn't been for the conversation that we had at, you know, at IL7, uh, I don't I wouldn't have survived. Like I wouldn't have made it through because I I was so frustrated, I didn't know what was happening and you know, I think you were the first person to ever tell me something that would be repeated to me over and over again and, and just be the thing I needed to hear every single time, which is this is normal. Mm. Right? Mm. This isn't some insane shit that's happening just to you. This is just how the process goes. Yep. And I mean, the thing is, you know, I I recently had A situation with my own protege where there came to be this real tension between us that I simply did not understand. And then I realized that the shoe was on the other foot, that Uh, he had snatched the pebble and that uh it was time for him to move on, Uh you know, in the same way that you had told me. Mm -hmm. You snatched the pebble. It's time to go. And in fact, I mean, that whole thing with Galenzi and Mattis, I mean, that was the moment I snatched the pebble. Right. You know.
0: So uh, as you being the mentor, how, how did you deal with that? Uh, When you notice that in the other person, but that person kind of needs to realize that for themselves. You can't necessarily just tell them, you know what I mean?
2: No, that's right. And it it was really hard because, I mean, you got to understand, like this guy, he's my best friend. He's the guy who's been with me. I mean, I've burned two entire teams working on the game that I've been working on, and he is the guy who has stayed there. Mm -hmm. Even when he wasn't happy about it, even when, you you know, I'm just sitting there with my head in my hands, and he's just standing there shaking his head, but he never left. And so the idea of, of him leaving, the idea of, of our relationship, having a time as everything has a time was something that I, I just couldn't deal with. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, I had to go back. I had to, I had to think about all of that stuff. And I didn't even realize I was his mentor. Hmm. Sure. It yeah. was that moment when mm. I realized that I had been mentoring <laughs> him for all of these years. And so, you know, I, I, I did something else that Will taught me that irritated the hell out of me every time he did it, but turned out to be invaluable, which is that you don't you don't keep things inside, you know mm-hmm. if you have something to say it's better to be honest it's better mm-hmm. to be honest and deal with the consequences of that than to you know than to try to do it any other way mm-hmm. and so I just you know after two two three days of just yelling at each other I, I I came over and I just told him, look, you know here's the situation as it was told to me by Brent Simmons as it was <laughs> with my mentor and 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 as it is with you and you know you've snatched the pebble it's time for you to go mm-hmm. and you know we've like the, all the tension evaporated from our relationship, and, and, and that was what enabled us to sit down and take a game that we genuinely that very morning, I mean, the beginning of that three days of tension was basically sitting down with the team that was left and being like, okay, guys, we have a game that's not very good. We don't have the skills to make it what it needs to be. We don't know what's wrong with it, but we need to finish it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was, you know, having that, that conversation that enabled us to actually, you know, get the help that we needed, uh, do the things that we need to do to end up with the game that we pushed to the App Store early, early this morning. Which is, I mean, congratulations! I thank you. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah. I'm not saying anything about it, but everyone who's who's seen the game has said it definitely has the potential to be a hit, and Excellent. that's that's Good. a world of difference from where it was, you know, a month ago.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, a lot of a lot of what success means to us in this business is the respect of our peers. So, um, you know, I, I certainly hope your game's a hit. But I also hope I look at it and say, oh, yeah, Mike and his people did a great job. And I bet I will say that. So I look forward to
2: seeing it. I mean, the way that I feel about it is, you know, with Shipley in '07, we won the Apple Design Award. And, I mean, that was just one of just the, the, the greatest experiences of my life. And everything I've worked on since then has had basically fundamentally one requirement. It has to be worthy of an Apple Design Award. It doesn't have to win. Right. But it has to be worthy. Right. Or other, otherwise, why bother? Why bother? Mm-hmm. bother? Why? Yeah,
0: totally agree.
2: I mean, and this is this is what working with Shipley did. I mean, I talk about how hard the work was, you know, that 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 one month from shipping that lasted three years, you know, all of the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, that's where this stuff seems to come from, you know. It it, it really it, it really does seem to come from this. I mean, there are plenty of people who managed to do this stuff without. Uh, you know, without hurting themselves or without sacrificing anything. And and I've never been impressed with anything those people have made. I've been impressed that they managed to sit down and write code without injuring themselves, but I'm not (laughs) impressed by the fact that, you know, by the work that they do. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, this game caused me permanent damage to my hand. Yeah. You know, like, this is the first thing I've worked on that has caused this permanent damage. And I'm not happy about this. I'm not Mm -hmm. happy about this at all. And I mean, this is a violation of a fundamental rule of no permanent damage. Right. But at the same time, we only have so much time on this planet and you know, why, why leave a perfect corpse and a bunch of mediocre software that no one will care about. Leave it all up on stage. That's right. Leave it all up on stage. And I mean that I got that from will, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean I, I could have sat down with people who were saner. I could have sat down arguably with people who were better personally. I I've seen Will's skills and you know, the guy really knows his stuff. Um, I, I, I couldn't have sat down with anybody else who could have caught, you know, taught me the, the level of quality, the, the level of just demanding things from yourself, the level of self-sacrifice. I mean, Will lost the love of his life to software, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you know, Will's, Will's had his ups and downs, right? Like he, yeah. he rolls now, but there have been times when he too has had nothing. Yeah. And, you know, he taught me as much as anything not to fear those times. Because those, that desperate back against the wall thing is, I mean, that's where, that's where that final month of development on lemur chemistry comes from. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: So I find it, uh, uh, one, way, uh, one way to characterize you is to say you are maybe one of the very last people who joined up this community early enough to uh, still be part of the old school. You know, you were a Mac developer because there were there were no iPhones. Yep. Now you're one of the last um, uh, to start that way. But uh, I wonder if, to you, there seems like a real dividing line between old school and new school uh, people who program the Macs versus people who started on iOS or not. And uh, I'm not sure. I personally have an opinion. I don't. I don't think I know what enough about it.
2: You know, I I, I talked about this a while ago with some some colleagues of mine, and we were trying to figure out the that- core difference in experience that separates the people who came before the iPhone to the people who came after and we realized that one experience that we had all had was the experience of having someone laugh in our face because we were <laughs> we were programming for the yeah. Mac yeah, yeah. you know I mean I, I, I'll never forget you know I had a, a bunch of friends when I was working for the airline. I had a bunch of friends and, and they had you know, kind of a friend of a friend right but the guy worked for Microsoft and I had tremendous respect for him because of what he did. You know, I, 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 I envied the people who worked at Microsoft. I wished that I could have a job that would use my, my brain instead of my body. Um, and I remember Cable Sasser seeing me at like WWDC or something and handing me one of their Hi, I make Macintosh software t-shirts. And ah. I was so proud of that shirt. Yeah. I wore that shirt. Like that was, that was the tuxedo shirt, right? <laughs> that was the shirt that I wore when I was really feeling my oats, if you will, uh. you know, that was my that was my shirt to roll in because the fact that I could wear that, the fact that, you know, I could have those words on my chest meant so much to me. I was so proud. Mm. And so I go to this party and I know that some of my like, you know, Microsoft friends are going to be there. And I'm like, you know, I'll be able to look them in the eye and be like, I'm like, you now. I'm like you. and 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 before I could even say a word, you know, the guy just just opened up his mouth and just, you know, spittle flying <laughs> laughed, just just <laughs> belly laughed, just belly laughed in my uh, face. And when he finally, you know, stopped just, you know, standing there, I just sort of said very coolly, that's why you're going to lose and we're going to win. All right. Wow. <laughs> nice.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely a defining characteristic, right? I mean, everyone oh. who chose the Mac, it wasn't a sure thing, right? Uh, you weren't choosing... There was no gold rush going on in Mac software when most of us were getting into it and looking at the indie scene. It was, so it was more about a lifestyle and uh, the desire to make software for that platform, really.
3: Right? And a,
0: a certain gambler's instinct, yeah. too. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. willing to roll the dice on something that doesn't yeah, look exactly. that big. Yeah. Now, it's probably true that a lot of iOS developers may have that same instinct within yeah. them, but they just didn't happen to
2: do what we did. But this is the thing I think that if you if you started programming for iOS and that was your introduction to this Apple stuff, uh, you've probably had a real crisis of faith because we've really gone from the you know sort of golden age to the Silver Age mm-hmm. and you know seeing the gold rush end, I think depressed a lot of people right out of the industry. But if you were here for the Mac, first of all, you knew how good you still had it and second of all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when we started in this business, you know, the joke was that the difference between an objective C programmer and a large pizza was that a large pizza could feed a family of four. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, this was not the kind of thing that we got into for the money. And, and you know, even though Shipley managers seem to be the one person who, you know, was kind of rolling. it. I mean, he had a different opinion, right? His opinion was stop looking at the percentages and look at the actual numbers. Mm-hmm. Right. There's definitely money to be made by serving a small group of people who are willing to pay a premium for something of quality. Right. And I think that the gold rush kind of made that go away and made people forget Mm -hmm. about that. And now what I talk about is surviving the end of the gold rush and the dawn of the silver age and, you know, telling people, look, the silver age is when all the money gets made. And the other thing is the silver age is like it's the normal operating procedure, right? You're going to have to work. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to make sacrifices. But if you make a product that's amazing for a customer base that is willing to pay – for something that is amazing, then you will continue to be successful. Hmm. You will feel blessed every day that you can continue to do this stuff because you know how hard you've worked.
1: I don't know. Maybe if you'd stop encouraging them, I could get a WWC ticket. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh God. Look, I understand, but I we made a whole extra conference just for you. I'll be Haven't, there this I time. Be there. Haven't I done enough? Haven't I done enough? And when I say I, I mean right. all of the volunteers who yeah. actually make this stuff happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that's one uh, interesting thing about you, Mike. You spend a lot of time trying to uh, promote the community and, you know, the things like Amsterdam and whatnot. Um, did you get a sense of that from Will? Was it, the, was it that talk that Will gave? I mean, I know Will isn't the person who's out there doing those things, but is that some inkling of it or is that, did that come from somewhere else?
2: Uh, it came from you guys. Yeah, it came from you guys. I mean, Will taught me how to be uh, an obnoxiously talented badass. Will taught me how to suffer for my art. You guys taught me the value of community. You guys taught me that what will ship your product is not your skill or your arrogance, but your humility and your gratitude. I mean, this Lemurs project has really driven the point home. Right, because the mistake that I made was thinking that I had the expertise and power to do this stuff on my own, thinking that I had ever had the expertise to do this stuff on my own. Oh, don't get me wrong. I can write some code, and I might know a lot of crap that a lot of other people don't know, but it is simply not enough. The marketplace is too harsh. The realities are too hard. There is no way. None of us do this stuff on our own. None of us do this stuff without each other. And I learned that from you guys saving my ass again and again and again. I mean, I had a, a, an interview recently on the Debug podcast, and a lot of people really like that podcast. And I kind of went back and listened to it a couple of times to try to figure out, like, why is this so popular? And I realized it is a 90-minute list of all the people who have saved my ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I mean, what what is any of our careers yeah. mm-hmm. but yeah. that? And And knowing that the secret ingredient to success has been each other, I mean, it's been like – you know, it's my two addictions. It's the two things that are just slowly killing me. You know, one yeah. is the fact that I will sacrifice anything necessary to the god of shipping, and the other is the fact that I will give my last dollar to someone in the community who needs it more than me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's one of my uh, favorite things, and why why I want to be here and keep doing this, uh, and hope that we get to keep doing this forever. Because yeah. uh, I have never been a part of any other sort of software development, in where people are so organized like that and so helpful uh there's not i don't think there's any like bad competition even i mean you know even competitors are supporting yeah, right, themselves. Yeah. And, and uh yeah i mean i'm sure all of us we spend all day online talking to our colleagues that are the same people who have been building this mac software for you know 10 15 20 years now and getting advice and help and encouragement uh and it's fantastic i love it yeah. love it i would
0: add that add though too though um uh, you know, so y- you maybe got to your first community uh, via the, the Seattle people. But um, but it's not all us. There's something in you that made yeah. you then want to grow out, go out and then create further communities and and, yeah. and organize and lead and everything. But and, I'll, t- I'll and tell you what just, that is. It's hugely admirable. I mean, t- not everyone does that, right? You
2: know. But I'll tell you what it is. Like, you know, it's the same thing, like I said, you know. Will might have his issues, but at the end of the day, I will always love that guy because I I would not be where I am today without him. And to hate him is to hate myself. Right. And it's the same thing because with – I mean I learned so many programming languages. I learned so many technologies. I was utterly agnostic to all of this stuff. And what would ultimately happen is when I would finally try to get help, I would just be met with just so much hostility. Like the Java community at the time – I was met with so much hostility. I really got the feeling like they didn't want the competition. Hmm. Like, why would Hmm. they tell me anything when that's just going to, you know, that's just going to lower the cost of their contracts. And that's why I didn't want to talk to the community. That's why I I, I didn't want to go to XCoders meetings. That's why I was so eager. You know, when Will's like, no, screw everybody else in the world. I'm like, yeah, exactly. They're all assholes. You know, and and, and being surrounded by people who were actually willing to help and willing to share. That's one of those (laughs) things. That's one of those things. You know, I would be dishonest if I, if I did it any other way than by mm-hmm. doing everything I could to keep that community going because I believe in where I am and I believe other people should have that same opportunity, must have that same opportunity because I only have so many years in me and somebody else has to pick this up. And if mm-hmm. they are not there to pick it up, then it's going to die. And if it dies, then what was the whole point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You went to work for Apple.
3: I did.
0: For a little while. Um, I can't remember. Was the iPhone out? Yeah, it must have been out by then. And you're not actually in Seattle, but we'll go in there anyway, even if it's a little outside right. our theme. Um, but um, i trying to remember the the chain of events. You started another company, uh, Tapulous, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and worked for them for a while, ship Tap Tap Revenge, mm-hmm. which was... Uh,
1: Nobody played that sank game.
0: Sank without a trace as far as I... <laughs> <laughs> actually, I have to admit, it's still on my to-do list. I haven't checked it out yet. But... Um, but um, Hugely popular, like the app. You know, the if you had to pick one app from the Gold Rush era, you, you'd look at that one probably. Um, or iFart maybe. Or well, iFart, yeah. yeah. And then uh, went to work at Apple. You were in DTS
2: initially, is that right? And then. Uh, well, you know, I, I did a contract at Apple first, uh-huh. uh, where yeah. I was basically, you know, retraining Java guys in Objective C over for the online store group. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah. But that was just a contract. But working on a contract inside of Apple made me realize how much I wanted to work at Apple mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and I had been very resistant to working at Apple because kind of everybody who worked for Will eventually ended up yeah, at yeah. Apple
0: that's true it was the career path that was, it, yeah.
2: it was and, and it really started to get under his skin and you know I was like I'm not going to do that like I'm not going to do that to him I, I'm going to break this trend I mean that's why I didn't go to Apple when the iPhone came out I, I went mm-hmm. to the Valley and, and did a startup instead because I had to do something else I had to do something that would be you know kind of worthy of, of, of his mentorship mm-hmm. um, you know but then you know, when the economy collapsed in 08 and kind of everything fell apart, and I just needed some money and I needed to go work for somebody, but I, right. I still believe that you should always work for experience. And so, why not go work for Apple? Yeah. Uh, Rands, you know, who's kind of known, he basically said, Yeah, I have a contract for you. He worked at the online Store Group at the time. So, mm. okay. did a contract to, to retrain his group a little bit. And uh, yeah. I loved it so. Then I I, I I originally wanted to be on the performance team, work with Eric Albert guys. Performance, uh, oh, has, yeah. has, has always been a love of mine, and, yeah, and, sure. and Eric has been so great. But I, I totally blew that interview. I mean, I, I got super 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 nervous, and, and and I just couldn't even I couldn't even think. I couldn't even think straight. And uh, you know, and and their their opinion was basically like, that this guy's a, you know, he's he, he's he's the son of Shipley. Like he's a, he's a UI guy. Like let him do that. You know, I would pay
0: to m- pay money to work alongside Eric Albert for like a week I mean I would actually like (laughs)
2: pony up bucks to do that the talk I'm giving in Detroit is is called engineering is hard which is Uh an Eric Albert quote right Mm -hmm. that's like his favorite thing to say absolutely yeah Yeah. he's just the guy I mean working with you know Eric was one of those handful of guys that whenever people would be like what's it like working at Apple I would just think of them I would just be like I feel stupid every day and I love it (laughs) yeah yeah you never want to be the smartest person that's right but I ended up finding a home in DTS and you know that was really nice I mean I kind of got to experience the best possible scenario of working at Apple because at a time when nobody had their own office, I had my own office on three mm-hmm. infinite loop when a time when no one's on infinite loop, you mm-hmm. know, and I'd get to eat at Cafe Max every day and really feel like a part of the company. I mean, what iPhone did to the industry, iPhone did inside of Apple as well. Mm-hmm. And just as I was able to sort of live on that last vestige of land before <gasps> the flood that was the iPhone, I managed to live in that last vestige of old Apple before Uh, the iPhone completely took it over.
0: Then you left there. Then where'd you go?
2: Then I went to uh, go work for Rands again. I mean, that guy was basically pestering me to come work with him for the whole time I was there. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I got uh, pissed off one day. There's a little bit of... I mean, Apple's a very... The politics inside of Apple is just insane. And there's just, there's just so much stuff that goes on. So, that even when you work inside of Apple, Apple's decisions can be utterly baffling. And, um, you know, Matt Drantz left Apple. No one was expecting that. And, you know, I'd only been in DTS for six months. Mm-hmm. But at that time, it was like, uh, you know, this is, this seems like destiny. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I would be the perfect person for that job. And that would be the perfect job for me inside of mm-hmm. Apple, you know, Coco Evangelist. So I. Uh, yeah. yeah, you already knew everybody
0: by that point. No, that's I mean, absolutely yeah. right. I, yeah. I
2: absolutely did. Yeah. Uh, and so I applied for the job and, and the interviews seemed to go really well. And, um, you know, and, and everybody had told me, like, don't uh, don't freak out if you don't get the job because, you know, maybe there's three people we want to hire. We only get one record at a time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we might have to hire somebody else in front of you. And so when I didn't get the job, I didn't freak out. But then I you know, went on Twitter, since my concentration was broken anyway, and realized that they had basically tweeted that the job was now open to the public hmm. an hour before, they had, before I'd even gotten the call. And I mean, I really took that as a, as a diss. I mean, it really seemed like the perfect way to say, fuck you. Yeah. Right. Is to, let, me, let us make very clear, <laughs> right? If we don't hire you, it's because there's somebody else. Yeah. Oh, who did they hire? Yeah, my left middle finger, my right middle finger, that's what they hired, right? Mm. Um, And, uh, you know, and and then like, you know, and Lop just happened to show up like the next day, you know, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, come work for me, we'll give you a promotion, we'll give you a raise, it'll be fantastic. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit I realized that, you know, because Jurowitz steamed through there uh, in six months, then DTS and evangelism had this, this political infighting between them over people bouncing out of DTS and going into mm-hmm. evangelism, and mm-hmm. I was just sort of the victim of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, you add sort of my I own, see. I was going through the divorce at the time, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. this was really not a good time for my mental state in general. Right, sure. um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, was, I, 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 I was hurt in a way, I was hurt in a, in a very deep and personal way um, that I shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. But because of the things that were going on in my life, I was vulnerable to that kind of thing. And so, you know, when, 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 when Rand's basically invited me to come work on product and go back to, you know, shipping, you know, it was like being mm-hmm. invited back to the church. Yeah. And, you know, I went ahead and took it. Um, you know, in retrospect, it was not the right decision and it didn't come from the right place. But you know how these things always are even when something that seems terrible and unfortunate happens to you, it's not that you've missed your destiny. It's just that there's another destiny for you. I mean, there would be no Amsterdam,
3: for mm-hmm, example,
2: yeah. right. uh, you know, if that had not happened. And, and, and genuinely, you know, it's like meeting the right person too soon in your life. You know, it's like I have no doubt that I will end up back at Apple. Hell, maybe even in evangelism. Yeah. But it wasn't the right time. I had a lot more to learn, and, and I'm a much smarter, much humbler I realize how funny it is to say those two things together, um, but I mean, I'm just I'm I'm just better at this stuff.
3: Mm-hmm, right.
2: I'm better at this stuff because I had l- I learned a lot by being told things by people like you, by people like Will, um, but I hadn't necessarily experienced those things for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you can say, "A players hire A players," but until you find yourself surrounded by a bunch of B players. You really have no idea what those words mean. Right. Right. And I don't mean B players in some other job. I mean B players who you hired. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's always like, where do the B players come from? The B players come from A players who are not doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You know, I mean, you know, yeah, I've had to fire some people before, but I've never had to fire somebody who I hired who I never should have. You know, hired in the mm-hmm. first place. I've never right. had to deal with those feelings of having to turn around and say, I made a mistake. I need to fire you. Yeah, right. Right? I yeah, mean, now I you're hurting somebody else because of... That's yeah. exactly and right. That's tough. You know, it's this, this, this you know, big boy business. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, when I was at Apple, I might have been in my 30s, but I was just a kid. Yeah, sure. I'm sure, I'll say the same thing about myself now when I'm looking back from my 40s. <laughs> but I definitely feel like the experiences that I've had outside of Apple since leaving Apple will make me a better Apple employee going mm-hmm. forward.
1: Hmm. There's a lot to the story that we haven't talked about, but a lot of that is sort of post-iPhone. Yeah. And we're going to do a post-iPhone season at yeah, some point. Can. Yeah, So I feel like Mike's going to come back. We're going to talk about the stuff that we kind of skimmed There's over. There's a
0: lot to talk about Yeah, <laughs> but I think we've just about take, yeah. taken, taken, And you know, what have, we, what have we not asked you about that, mm-hmm. you know, from the, from the old days that might be interesting.
3: Hmm.
2: No, oh, that's a good question. I mean, it's weird being back in Seattle, you know? It's been a really long time. Mm. Yeah, it really has. And, uh, you know, I, I when I flew into SeaTac, you know, a week ago, like, I, I spent five years of my life at that airport, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, taking the light rail kind of through the city and, and, and just this wave of nostalgia. It was like I, I, I thought of people I hadn't thought about in years, people I used to work with. I, I heard songs in my head that I hadn't heard for years and it was just this this massive flood of, of of nostalgia i guess for lack of a better word um you don't realize how much of your life you've lived in a place and 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 how much of who you are comes from that place and and the people who were with you in that place and it's really been a blessing to come back and and kind of see how life continued without you. It's like being able to come back from the dead for just <laughs> one week to to see everything and everyone again. You don't really get that privilege, and I've just, I've just enjoyed the hell out of myself being here. No, well, that's great. Well, we've loved having you. You always have a home in Seattle.
1: <clears throat> yeah, yeah. We need you back more often.
2: Yeah, indeed.
0: Thanks, guys. Yeah, you bet. Well, I, I think on that note, we'll probably close it off on the uh, nice little sentimental bits. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'd like to thank Mike for, for coming out and talking to us today all the way, once again, from Amsterdam and thank the Omni group for providing us, some um, uh, conference room where we've set up a, a fort basically, uh, <laughs> where we, where we can record today. And,
1: uh, that's about it, Chris. Yeah, no, I think we're good. I think we can okay. call it a, call it a show. Have all you right. named the fort yet? No, I think that you can have the honors being the first, uh, yeah. guest in the fort.
2: I, I don't know that I could come up with a name that would be worthy of this <laughs> fort.
1: Know.
2: I don't want to call
3: the
0: Fort Eric Albert. <laughs> fort Albert. That sounds good. Yeah, fort, go. Albert. Fort, go. <laughs> fort Albert. Fort Albert. it right. is. Beautiful engineer. Yeah. Capulose
2: headquarters had a, a loft, and we called it Corbin's Treehouse after Corbin done Ah, thanks. No, nice. there you go.
1: Mm. I haven't seen him in a while. Cool. Yeah, this is the uh, 2 a.m. fort right here. This is what I spent my evening doing.
2: I, when I see this fort, I say, <laughs> th- this is why they're doing this podcast. <laughs> <think> this is <laughs> exactly the reason, right, right here. Of course, it is. Yeah. In the cafeteria.
1: In the, the cafeteria, And they have massages, actually, too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. We got it made.